and then moving my wife and then moving my on. wife <laughs> i have a wife that's my wife and that's my wife yeah <laughs> What's good, team? This is The Queer Archive, a queer and feminist Doctor Who podcast. I'm Caitlin. And I'm Brenna. And this week, we are talking about the second episode of Series 11, The Ghost Monument. Let's pull to open to talk about how we actually really enjoyed this episode and share in our love of Angstrom and her big gay aesthetic. Okay, pull to open. What are initial reactions? People online hate this episode, and I don't get it, because I we enjoy it. Like, why? Yeah, it's like fine. I think it's one of 13's better ones. Mm-hmm. So I don't really get the vitriol towards this episode. It doesn't warrant it doesn't it warrant, doesn't warrant sh- that strong reactions at all. Yeah, I, we watch this episode a lot. We do. Not because it's amazing, but it's it is super solid and it ends on just one of the most comforting notes. Yeah. So it's just doing good work. It's doing a good job. The additional cast is small enough that we actually can create emotional bonds with them. There's a mysterious little seed planted in the middle of a climax scene. But of course, what really makes it all worth it is the ending. The doctor this and the doctor. This is why we have come. Yeah. The real OTP. Okay, I have a question. If they have universal translators implanted in them, then why do mm-hmm. Epso and Angstrom both retain curses in their native languages? <laughs> He says wreck, okay, and she says finkscad, which I assume are supposed to be curses in Albarian right. and Muxtrin. 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 It's obviously so that they can curse on the show, right? They just sneak it in there because if they cursed in English, that'd be like a no go. Like yes, I, I I understand the practical <laughs> reasons, but I'm saying the translator doesn't work. I know that comes up later with the. With the circular writing that they find on the ground. Yeah. My question is, is shouldn't that be translated as well? Or does text not get translated? Is it just audible language? I assume it's just audible language. Interesting. That's a choice. Like, why why wouldn't it translate text as well? Well, maybe it translate text, but, like, you just know it in your head. It doesn't actually change the shape of it like the TARDIS does. Yeah, so what... But again, like, why wouldn't Graham be able to read it on the ground? He asks the doctor to translate... That I don't know. So this has definitely come up before in Under the Lake or Before the Flood. One of those when the spaceship first arrives and they're seeing the text inside the walls and they can't understand it. It's obviously the big mystery before it's revealed. And that is one of the texts where I'm like, that also totally could have been translated if the TARDIS is supposedly there. But don't they explain that the TARDIS can't translate it because it's too old? Like she doesn't have it in her systems. Yeah, that's fair. I don't remember that being, like, the the caveat, but I think... They do explain, like, they say why it can't be translated in the episode. Okay, yeah. yeah. I wonder if text comes up before. There's probably so many other examples where it does or does not follow that rule. So to answer your question, I don't know. Just, you know, we just move on, as we do in Doctor Who. At this moment, I would like to insert our weekly fuck-off Graham content. This episode, it is... So we're sticking with Graham, are we? And not Granddad? Yes, Graham. I remember the first time we watched this episode, I turned to you and said, he's going to call him Granddad by the end of the series. 
and then went back to watching it. And every episode I was just like waiting. waiting. And I remember when we were at least partway through It Takes You Away. And I was like, oh, I think they're going to say it this episode. And I really thought it was going to be the finale. Yeah. And it was. Yeah, it could have been kind of their final moment, but they built up to different things. Yes, they did. And by the time we get there, I'm not mad about it, but I was super mad every second before then. (laughs) It's really, really really annoying. I mean, we'll talk about it when we get to the Battle of Ranskar of Kolos. But what like really blows my mind is that Granddad is episode nine and the fist bump is episode 10. We'll talk about that when we get to the season finale series finale but anyways (laughs) yeah the fist bump is even more intimate yes be honest Uh, yeah yeah anyways (laughs) anyways okay we will get there a bunch of the rest of my pull to open notes are super deck 70 by the way okay um we haven't had a deck 7 pull to open in a while but here we go moomin beans so much cooler (laughs) than human beings never even heard of moomin beans (laughs) (laughs) can we just go by that from now on yeah sure why not so much cooler She's, like, so sincere about it, too. She's yeah. like, Moomin Beans? Yeah. Moomin Beans. Never even heard okay. of them. Mm. Sounds whack. <laughs> also, um, so Ryan's shoes, how do they stay so white? Like, does he keep a sneaker cleaning kit in his jacket or They're something? They're walking in sand. Like, it is desert sand. Those are not sand shoes. No, they are not sand shoes. <laughs> like, speaking of jackets, by the way, why does no one take off their jacket i don't know it looks so mad hot there and everybody be walking around in those leather jackets and coats yeah i don't don't get it angstrom and epso in those wetsuits they just must be fucking roasty and they're it goes all the way over their shoes like like they must be on fire and they have like jackets and vests on top of the wetsuits like why does no one take it off i don't know put those jackets in your backpack yeah i don't know man ridiculous I also love that Ryan asks if they're eligible to enter the race. Are we eligible too? No. no. He's like, listen, I'm a warehouse worker. I could use a couple trillion crin or whatever. I'm trying to sit comfy for the rest of my days on Earth. Yeah. <laughs> very, very good question, Ryan. Speaking of Epso and Angstrom, Sean Dooley and Susan Lynch are both so, so good here. Yeah, they're great. Yeah, I think... Especially, I mean, Susan Lynch is great in everything I've seen her in. She's killer in Killing Eve. But I think Dooley makes a lot of really interesting choices in the monologue about his mom. Mm -hmm. I think his acting there really makes me believe that he recalls that abuse with fondness and love for his mom. Oh, for sure. Yeah. 100%. Yeah, it's like, um, uh, sorry, um, excuse me, I, I totally, I probably misunderstood you, like, sorry, um, I must have misheard, sorry, but excuse me, what? You said that was your mom? That was very, um, peak Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart on your part. <laughs> excuse me, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Uh, I'm sure those words make sense in some kind of Yes, situation. one imagines those words are attached to actual meanings. <laughs> yeah. Oh my I, gosh. I love start with nothing, barter your way up as a premise for a race. That's very fascinating. Yo. And when we were rewatching it today, I was like, that means they literally bartered their way into those ships somehow. Because you start with nothing and then you trade your way up. That's pretty incredible. Damn. The hustle, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I do, before we leave Pull to Open, I love the new TARDIS exterior. I love the color. I love the black Pull to Open sign. I nice think touch. it's sweet. Yeah. Nice touch. For I, sure. I don't really love the interior. I know that we differ there, but um, I no, do. No, I feel you. I really like the lighting, and I think it gets... They do such beautiful stuff with lighting in their next series, in Series 12, so... Interior's not my favorite, although I do... We stand a queen who has a 
tiny model of herself on her console. <laughs> the TARDIS was like, you know who should be in here? Fucking me. me. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what I'll do? Twirl. I so I serve no just purpose. For you. Yeah, I just look cool. Yeah. I just give you cookies and give you a twirl. I want a cookie pedal in my car. Fuck yeah. Bleep. No, I, I feel you on the console though. It's not my favorite. And I definitely wasn't sold when we first saw it. I love that 13 loves it. Yes. Like, I love, of course, the relationship. I love that she says, I really like it. And mainly because finally this damn TARDIS gets some damn appreciation up in her console. Yeah. After all of those years of being like, I don't like it. How dare you change? She's like, I did this for you. Yeah. (laughs) Finally. Yeah. And it's like specifically for you. It looks like the recall unit from... It looks like Sonic. Yeah, like a little thing in your recall pod and your Sonic. They were in sync. The TARDIS be knowing what the girl was doing. Yeah, cute. Exactly. Uh, I love that it's very tactile. Maybe that's a little bit of this 13th Doctor. Maybe it's a little bit because of Jodie as an actor being a super tactile, super flamboyant, just like her arms are everywhere every time she's talking. I love that it's going in a new direction, period. Like, moved away from all of the, like, cold blue and steel where everything was, like, screens. And here, everything is, like, touch it, move it, spin it, bop it. Yeah. Tap it. <laughs> um, There's the one part that she has to literally pull like it's a bop it. Yeah. And every time I'm like, okay. Which I think is fitting. And yeah, it's, it reminds me a little bold. bit of yeah. Eleven's first TARDIS, mm-hmm. which that console was, like bizarre cobbled together by small children just the weirdest shit on there in some play-doh yeah Yeah, but that's because matt smith was also like really physical in how he operated the tardis very similar yeah very similar yeah Yeah. absolutely and i love the color change like that is maybe the newest most daring direction change that they've made everything thus far has been really blue blue heavy (laughs) and here they're like no we're and i mean yeah it like happens with the first woman doctor and so they're like has to be more warm and glowy and quote-unquote feminine but also at the same time like as much as i would love it to not follow along those lines it's a really beautiful move to insert crystals and to explore other colors in the color wheel than just the same two over and over again well and even the outside aesthetic is a pretty bold move it's like teal not blue it's not tardis blue yeah, it's a lot it's more teal, especially in this particular moment where we're we're reading it for the first <laughs> the time. Yellow, yellow. Filter. There's a cl- very distinct filter, <laughs> with a lot of yellows and teals on yellows on the lighter parts, the highlights of the the screen, and then on the darker parts, there's a lot of teal yeah. being inserted. So it was like <laughs> a shock. Yeah, <laughs> but and even the sign too. I think one of the classic doctors had a black sign, but most of them have had the white with the black font. So I think it's a, I think it's a pretty bold jump for how anodyne the episode is. Classy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. But we will definitely get more to that scene because it's, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a scene, you know? That's not all we're saying about them. But I mean, what's really important is we got to talk about what's new here in Pull to Open. So let's head to the High Council to talk about some more new, new and (laughs) an old fave. All right. All right, we're up in the High Council of Gallifrey, the segment where we discuss folks in the power positions in the world of Who production. Who do we got? Written by Chibnall. Of course. Yeah. I wonder if he's ever going to come back around to the Stenza. 
You would really think, right? It really seemed like he was setting up a larger arc with, you know, everyone's on the run. The race exists for people to get away from them. Mm -hmm. They've conquered seven systems or whatever. Yeah. And then they're just like, nah. I dig it. I mean, it's very, like, Imperial Army. So I would like to see it come back. Yeah, I really thought there was going to be more. Because, honestly, the the finale was just, like, a little underwhelming. Yeah. A lot of underwhelming. The Simsha one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I'd like to see it come back so it just kind of follows through with yeah. all of the promise and the buildup that Tim Shaw, I think, and where he comes from, I think, really warrants and, yeah. and has he's, potential. He's a good, scary, bad guy. Yeah. There should be more of that. For sure. I also think, as much as I like Angstrom and Epso, I think this is a perfect example of what we grumbled about multiple times in the Echelon Circuit series, which is that... Even though there's a really small cast, the side characters get developed more than the squad. And that's annoying. Even though I like them. I like Angstrom and Epso. Yeah, but absolutely. I still learn more about the two of them than I do about anybody on Team TARDIS. Absolutely. And in, at this point, we are in our second episode. So we're not really expecting to know Yaz no, and Graham fully but yet. I would so like at this something. point, we weren't super annoyed with it yet because we thought this would be the exception. And we get to know two characters well, and we end up liking their stories. So we're like, we're happy. The fact that it continues on this path, and the side characters sometimes aren't interesting, so yeah. that's like a double no, that's what got annoying after a while. Because we're like, oh, that wasn't the exception. This is just how it's going to be all season. It's going to be. Cool, yeah, cool, cool, yeah. cool, cool. Yeah. Well, uh, our old favorite is still here, Ray Holman. Ray fucking Holman. I am Added obsessed again. with the uniforms for the race, the wetsuits. They are very nice. And like we've said before, I think it would just be so fucking boring to have to keep designing spacesuits. And you know who does his homework and shows up every time with a fresh take? Ray fucking Holman. Ray Holman. He yeah. don't make it look boring. He makes no. it look like he's having fun. I also and the yeah. scuba suits, like they are practical. They are interesting. They are weathered, right? She says we've been through two hundred and nine terrains, ninety four planets. They look like they've been through ninety four planets in those some suits. Shit. But yeah. they have like the camelback and it's the it's the scuba suit material, so it's adaptable for a lot of terrains. Like it's just it's a smart design. I also love the high drama of the sniper bot hoods. <laughs> They have these big cloak hoods. That's so right. Yeah. That's so good. Nice work, Ray. Yeah. Uh, this episode was directed by Mark Tondurai, who also directs the next episode. I love the camera work when Ryan runs out after he said, Call of Duty, I've trained for this. And yes. the camera work switches to like a first person shooter perspective. So it's all wobbly, like you are in a shooter game. That's funny to me. Super well done. Yeah. Oh my God, that's such a good moment. <laughs> The close-up shots on the boat are also super fire. Yeah. Just such stunning work here. Speaking of the boat scene, this doesn't have to do with direction necessarily, but it's just because it's in the scene. But if we didn't already know that 13 was one of us, we then saw her sit Gaze can't on that sit. boat. That's right. <laughs> That's the law. That sit was not heterosexual. No, it was not heterosexual. You can tell when you see somebody sitting on a chair, but they're not sitting on the chair. They're sitting on any part besides the chair. Mm -hmm. That's how you know. There's also several striking desert shots throughout the episode. Yes. Just, I don't know if that's the director of photography or the, the director, Mark Tondurai here, but well done. Just, I'm so glad they got to, like, venture out of Britain for yeah. a lot of this season. Yeah. It's really beautiful and it pays off. Another couple of notes I have in the High Council, they're just about in-world visuals, so I don't know if it's necessarily 
set design or again like directional photography but i love the circular written language left by the scientists on desolation so we talked about that a little bit not sure why it's not translated here necessarily that graham can't just like understand it immediately even though it's written but it's really beautiful and i love that it's you know just kind of scattered everywhere i like that she has to like walk to be able to read it yeah yeah so she can't just stand it just makes a lot of sense that in universes upon universes like language would be all sorts of things yeah and very rarely would it be linear or <laughs> look anything like ours. Yeah. That scene also really does make me laugh, though, because 13 totally sets up the drums in the deep. Yeah. <laughs> Two words after that. They're, They're coming. coming. <laughs> and then to close out the High Council, obviously, we have music by Sagoon, and you get a couple of really great examples here of that set sound that we were talking about in the last episode. So just to refresh, Sagoon says that the set sound, like the bass recipe, is French horn, some cellos, some voices, and then some synths. So if you listen to Three Sons, which always gives me Star Wars vibes... It starts with a French horn that's been modified, and then it has some strings and synths that get added on. So you have all the little bass recipe elements happening in there. And same goes, by the way, fucking finally the TARDIS gets her own theme. It is about damn time. But the I know. (laughs) But the TARDIS theme does have French horn, cellos, the vocals, the synth. And he's using all of them. It's so beautiful. It is beautiful. I love that she gets a theme. That's really what the tagline was about. It's about damn time. Not that they said damn, but it's about time was about the TARDIS getting her own theme song. Yes, it is about (laughs) damn time the TARDIS got her own theme. And you know what else it's about damn time for? The Black Archive. You know it. This is the Black Archive, a segment that's full of such dangerous, forbidden, and powerful things that even the doctor shouldn't go here. Here we examine things like race, class, sexuality, gender, bodies, all the stuff your mom warned you about. All right, let's do it. What do we got? Angstrom's story is pretty transparently an immigrant or refugee narrative, right? Mm, Yeah. Yeah. So you left your family to do this? I left my family to try and save my family. They told me to. If I win, I find them. The idea of having to leave your family and home behind to seek out a place where they may have the opportunity for a safer future. And whatever happens here, it's a better chance than I have back home. This resonates with the ridiculous and inhumane risks that one has to take for the chance to ensure a better life for you and your family. And meanwhile, you have to live without each other, which is a very real experience. Sometimes you're not going somewhere new together. You have to pioneer the way and leave them behind. Besides the conditions in which you're living, the fact that you're just separated is its own whole emotional trauma. So hearing Angstrom talk about her experience was, I think, really powerful, and they did a really good job with that. It also makes me think of when we're learning her backstory 
It's one of the moments when the doctor has to really listen and ends up taking more of an active ally role than ever before. And I don't know if that's happened a lot thus far for the doctor or if it's a common thing that the doctor has to do. Normally he's kind of the center of the attention or he's telling his tragic backstory, but there's not a lot of space made to just listen to someone else unfolds their trauma and unfolds what they are battling in that moment. So I think it opens up a lot of room for a more interesting, well-rounded character, in my opinion. One thing I love to see is how curious 13 is. She's allowed to be a kid. So she's asking all of these questions. I wonder who those were built for. Why do you even care? Where are those people now? Why are there so few signs of life? What happened to everyone? I honestly think it's a bit of Jody as an actor shaping the writing and performing of the doctor here. From from what I've seen and heard in her interviews, Jodi is an extremely curious person who has never been afraid to look silly. And she said several times, you can get a lot further being the person who is always asking questions than the person who is too afraid to look stupid for not knowing. So I love this for the doctor and I love that this is kind of seeping through the doctor's character. And in her first episode even, she's already so much more transparent with the people around her. We get to see her say, now I'm thinking I might have been wrong and I'm trying to catch up with what that means. So right off the bat, she's just like a person that asks every question that pops up in her mind. She's not trying to necessarily like make herself seem like an all-knowing person. She's just trying to get to the bottom of things and she includes so many people along the way. Even right when they get on this planet, she's like, hey boys, go figure out how to make that engine work. Loving your work, boys. And she includes Yaz on pretty much all of her thought processes, which Yaz is super curious about because she like, is super engaged and she wants to know everything that's going on. And again, this comes up because they're more of a team, more of a fam, rather than like the doctor, capital D, and like the companions that are under the doctor. Of course, some of those dynamics play out later, but as much as possible, she seems to be much more of a team player and much more of an inclusive person around her that's like, I want to listen to your stories. I want to like understand who you are and I want to figure this out together. We're going to fly my TARDIS together. That happens very shortly after this. Some of this is perhaps, I was trying to like grapple with this as we're first seeing the 13th Doctor's character kind of unfold and understand who she is compared to like previous Doctors. And perhaps that's why 13 has felt a bit unbalanced to me at times because she contains some things that feel like contradictions. So there are some inherent things that perhaps the Doctor will always be. Quick to brag, emotionally distant, etc. And 13 is definitely all of those. But she's also some new things. She knows how smart she is and she isn't afraid to claim it, but she's also aware there are things that she can't understand, things that are outside of her experience's reach, things that she has to learn from someone like Engstrom, Rosa Parks, the nurse on Saranga, and of course even her companions. Mm. So I'm loving remembering how we're kind of learning about 13 in this episode and all the promise that it was showing because we're like oh this is so new like she's a lot of new things and I really liked that yeah okay next we definitely have to talk about how we get an explicitly gay couple here but one of them's dead too bad one of them's dead (laughs) (laughs) that being said yeah I do really appreciate Engstrom as a character I just love her character entirely yeah she's really dope and remember when we first saw (laughs) that shot of her the scroll up when she comes out of the ship yeah she (laughs) jumps down from her dope ass ship and then we just see from the ground up her whole outfit and yeah. I'm like gay she's so gay 
That outfit, that hair, gay. I'm very glad that they confirmed that. That her it wasn't whole just vibe. coded as yes. gay. Like, she was, she definitely had her whole backstory and we got to learn about it. Uh, I low-key considered cosplaying her at Galley that year. I was thinking, you look, okay, all I got to do is pretty much find a wetsuit and then I'm 90% there. I got a fanny pack. I've got you a You have cap, a camelback. You know? Yeah. Of course. I didn't do it, but I considered it. You still could. I still could. I don't think I've ever cosplayed before, so <laughs> it'll happen one day. Yeah, they, this whole season doesn't do super great with the queer LGBTQ representation. Is Most, there more? Yeah, there's a couple dead people. So arachnids in the UK. We have oh, the assistant yeah. um, who is married to Trump's niece. Yep. Not Trump, but Trump's Trump. Standin. I know. Yeah. I was about to explain it in the same exact way. She gets killed. There's like a really unnecessary death of a queer character. That, like that's literally all we know about this dude. He's a security. Oh, employee. in resolution. He's like, hi, I'm gay. Yeah. Gets killed. <laughs> He's cute too. That's He's adorable. Yeah. Um. So there are a few people in the stories and in the universe. <laughs> And the fact that they're there and they immediately get killed or they immediately talk about their dead wife, like, woo. Yeah. I do think this great. is a more successful version of that, like, yes, I'm gay. And it's also, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be a plot point, like mm-hmm. my wife. It reminds me kind of in She-Ra where they were like, Bo's dads. And you're like, yeah, Bo's dads. Moving and along. Moving along. Yeah, they're moving along. really adorable. It's great. Really, you should watch She-Ra if oh you haven't God. already. But... I think that's a successful deployment of, yes, this person is gay, and it doesn't have to be their arc being gay. shattering yeah. moment that we have to, like, debrief with the audience. Yeah. yeah it's been done better, of course. Bill Potts, Long May She Rain, is our first truly queer mm-hmm. companion. I know somebody's going to come after me and be like, Jack's queer. Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> our first... Is le- he? Yes. I didn't, I didn't notice. <laughs> I know. Can you is believe... He? Has he kissed men on the show? Bill I don't, is I don't our first queer woman, but that they were yeah. like, she's gay and she likes it and it's not going to be a problem. And they just moved on with yeah. it. Jack Anyways. is great, but he's definitely used for shock value. Spectacle. He's definitely a spectacle. And I mean, we still love it, but we need more, yeah. obviously. Yes. There needs to be more. There are also some gender dynamics that we could talk about in this episode. We're two episodes in with 13, and I feel like here really begins some notable gender dynamics for the doctor now presenting as a woman. Yeah. So it's not super explicit, but in a few scenes, especially in the tent with Illin, that would be very different if the doctor presented as a man. He would not speak to Peter Capaldi like that. Let me tell you what. I really don't think so. (laughs) He might speak to Matt Smith that way, but he would not speak to Peter Capaldi. Nobody speaks to Peter Capaldi that way. This is true. Except for Clara. (laughs) while standing on his neck Uh, but I love how it's also super great that she doesn't even bother to learn his name because he's an asshole to her Yeah, (laughs) but it happens also kind of at the confrontation with Epso and her at the water and continually the height difference always gets me (laughs) Jodi isn't a particularly short woman but she's repeatedly confronting men in a face-to-face interaction who are just taller than her and it's delightful. Yeah. That and it comes doesn't up slow in her down at all. Fugitive of the Jadoon too. And yeah. it's because Joe Martin is taller than her and yeah. Gat is taller than her. So they're both like little woman and she's like Excuse me. Little, little. <laughs> <laughs> It's true. Is is Sasha Sasha's that much taller? Short. I feel like Sasha and her are a lot similar in height. Yeah. 
Uh, but don't worry, there is no lacking of, you know, power dynamics. There. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is done great. But with everyone else, like all of these like really petty men, villain-esque roles or whatever, that is always present. Yeah. She's always kind of like looking up to them as she's schooling them. And I love seeing that. It doesn't always have to be shown as someone who is taller talking down to someone who is shorter. Yeah. Like she can still pull it off. And it, while at the same time, there are gender dynamics where she has uh, that going against her. Yeah. And she's, she's fighting it in that moment. It's really interesting to me in this episode to see how much, like, my read is that Ilan really is being disrespectful because she's a woman. Like, that is absolutely the read I it's take away from that scene. Yeah. Versus I feel like when Epso is being mean, it's not because he doesn't like her because he's a woman. It's because he doesn't like anyone. and He's just, like, lashing out <laughs> in whatever direction works to be like, no! And she's like, okay, what the fuck ever go take a nap fuck ever, man. yeah <laughs> i do think that he feels particularly attacked when like them as two women when are they team against up oh him. yes <laughs> you know like yeah. that's also a thing oh yes which i love how well she gets along with angstrom by the way yes and how fucking done she is with all of these dudes especially epso and here begins 13's sass lord victoria's legacy she has amazing one-liners all throughout this episode usually directed towards epso what do you care? You don't care about anything. Ooh, tracker, thanks. And as hard as it is for you to understand, you are not the only life form in this universe. Some of us feel a duty to others who might be in trouble. So fix your wound, take one of your heroic naps, and we'll wake you when we leave, if you're lucky. Because I love that he's famous for fucking napping. <laughs> he's famous for it. Yeah. Of course. He's like, famous for napping dude, and being a dick. Yeah. What a dude thing to be famous for. Yeah. Just, like, napping while he makes... Angstrom row the fucking boat, or not row, but st- steer. steer. Yeah, <laughs> steer the boat. He takes so many naps while she just stays awake and problem solves. <laughs> the fact that thirteen gives him shade for that, I love it. Yeah. Okay, uh, that brings us to Bechtel and Duvernay. Yeah. What do we got? I think it's yes to both. Definitely Bechtel. Yeah, I think we were. I think we were wobbly on Duvernay, but I think Yaz's brief talk about her family and how she like. She misses them, even though they make her crazy. And also Ryan grappling with Grace's death. I think it pushes it over the low bar for me. Again, Duvernay is actually a really low bar. And in this case, we've got two characters of color who are named and are actually demonstrating interiority about a personal life. So I think it does. I think on this podcast, we are very loose with Duvernay, as we've said. I think if we were to take the official test, they would be a lot stricter because they have like a list of five questions that if you list them all together, they have to answer them all. Then it has to up your game a little bit. But yeah, I think there's whispers in here. They were like, this is promising. Um, too bad the whole season doesn't follow through. Yeah. But we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Well, that's a lot of gender politics for a supposedly fun episode. Yeah, I know. But we're just calling balls and strikes or misogyny and gender essentialism, if you like. <laughs> Makes me feel like I need a break, honestly. Well, that's perfect because it's time to head to the heart of the TARDIS anyways. We can hear a word from our sponsor while we make our way there. Yay. This podcast is brought to you by the Rally of 12 Galaxies. The rally covers 209 terrains in 94 planets through 12 star systems with the challenge of reaching the end of the race. We pride ourselves on running a competitive, inventive race without killing its entrance. This year, we anticipate over 4,000 entrants joining us on the adventure of a lifetime with a final prize of 3.2 trillion crin, enough to be set for a lifetime. 
earn your place in the history books, enter the Rally of the Twelve Galaxies today, and race to win. This is the heart of the TARDIS, the spot where we talk about feels and morals about the episode. Let's talk about them feels, though. The question is, Eleanor, what do we owe to each other? What do we owe to each other? This episode is, like, really hitting hard on we, some of us feel obligated to help people when they're in danger. We're stronger together. (laughs) So just, like, the idea that it is your responsibility to help other people when you can, as Mm -hmm. much as you can. And it's juxtaposing itself against a very, like, I only got myself in this, and I have to get myself through this, and no one else is going to help me fuck everyone else mentality. Yeah. 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 I do think that gets contrasted with 13 insisting that we should help other people when we can, that it's our responsibility to one another as, like, citizens of this universe. And you set that up next to, as you were pointing out here, how quickly she breaks apart when it doesn't work literally mm-hmm. the first the first thing they've tried which is to get to where the ghost monument is mm-hmm. and she's like no we'll be done with them one rotation Woo! okay well sometimes helping other people is hard work and it doesn't exactly turn out the way you want mm-hmm. it to right away and you have to try try again mm-hmm. absolutely when s- first seeing this episode and getting to know jody the speed with which she just jumped into despair was honestly kind of shocking we were like excuse me <laughs> So she went from 60 to zero in a matter of seconds, and that was jarring to see. But thinking about where she's coming off of losing Bill, yeah. If you think about that, feeling mass amounts of disappointment in yourself makes a whole lot of sense because she feels like she let them down after letting Bill down in a very, very severe way with very severe consequences. Mm -hmm. So she's bringing all of that sense of failure and uncertainty about doing this whole try and help humans thing again and it doesn't go right like immediately it doesn't go right so it's it's like every person after losing someone or after falling out debating whether or not to open yourself back up to someone else and I love that the answer she receives is a yes yes it is worth it she had given up on herself in an instant because the hit she took wasn't on thick skin it was on a wound not yet even beginning to scar but just beginning to believe that Maybe one day it could heal. And then those little precious newbies, they didn't see all that. They just saw this little weirdo ball of possibility and adventure. And of course, they saw their only hope of getting out alive. And then they hear that sound. That sound that brings hope wherever it goes. It's all right. It's me. Stabilize. Come to daddy. I mean, mommy. I mean, I really need you right now. Which brings us to the TARDIS. Mm. My beautiful ghost monument. That wide shot, it's though, so beautiful. as she's running to her girl with Sagoon's big horns rising in the background. This scene is so good. They just nailed it because they're leveraging both like really wide shots, taking us out and making the moment feel really grandiose, and then bringing it back with the really close shots and a narrow depth of field. It just feels strikingly intimate at the same time. Hmm. Lost my key. Sorry. Just the tenderness. Oh my gosh, this weird show got us feeling all sorts of things about a box. And I love that for us. 
honestly, the treatment feels like a romance story when they talk about the whole world falling away and it's just you and that insert love interest dancing in a room because it's just 13 in her honeycomb TARDIS giving her cookies and shit. All the pretty girls in the world, but I'm in this space with you. She even says, you did yourself up. You did yourself nice. <laughs> I love how she's just like having a full on conversation with her. Fly great escapes with you. Oh. And Graham straight up interrupts. Remember us? Yeah. Hey. <laughs> and then like all of them getting introduced to the TARDIS. All of their reactions are super on brand. Yaz just like challenging the doctor a little bit. Um, last time I checked, uh, you can't just engineer dimensions or whatever. 13, of course, flirts back. Maybe you can. And then Ryan, can I touch the buttons? I do think it's illegal to not have somebody say it's bigger on the inside. Absolutely. So I'm formally entering that into the record that somebody should have said it's bigger on the inside or the acceptable Bill Paz alternative, it's smaller on the outside, but whatever. Yeah, I agree. It does come up later with other random folks that... Does anyone say it? ...should not be their line. I don't think anyone said it. Someone says a version of it? No? Is it not until resolution? Does somebody say it in resolution? I really don't think anyone said it's bigger on the inside. Not those exact words, but you know, like, there's versions that they try to remix it all the time. I think someone has some degree of a remix of that line. I feel like that's one of those things you're not allowed to remix. Like, I know people do it. I'm saying yeah. my personal opinion is that someone should say it's bigger on every the inside. Every time someone steps in the TARDIS, no, everyone not should say every it. time, but somebody should say it. I know. Well, that brings us to a crack in time and space. We're here. What should we send? Nothing. Nothing. It's <laughs> I ain't true got though. It's true. This episode is solid. There's not one thing that stands out. It's just not like, spicy enough. No. There's nothing spicy in here. We take. We've said this before. We take a crack in time and space seriously. Very seriously. <laughs> You're erasing something from all of time and space. And there's just, I just not don't something feel that in this way episode. about something. No. Nope, absolutely not. Okay, what about top three moments? Oh, but we got right, a we few. Have more. I do love Yaz at the beginning on Angstrom ship where she, or episode ship, where she goes, I'm on a spaceship. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Yo, Yaz is low key down. You could tell she's like, what the fuck is going on? all the time but anytime 13 asks something of her she's like okay i got you boo <laughs> immediately she's like you can be honest with me are we going to die yeah it's chill just tell me just tell me yeah. <laughs> and of course 13 replies not if i've got anything to do with it yeah which hits differently now <laughs> anyways <laughs> we didn't get to talk a lot about yes so i'm gonna take a second but i remembered a few things we were learning about her they pretty much start with that moment of, oh, shit, I'm on a spaceship. Because Yaz is fucking engaged. She wants to participate actively. She's not passive when she's hanging out with the doctor. Second episode in, first episode in, hell, when she sees the doctor looking into something, she wants to know what she is thinking and wants to see, like, all the pieces on the board and contribute to strategizing because that's just her thing. She's constantly asking, what do you got there, doctor? And we continue to, of course, see this increase throughout the next two seasons. Yeah, she gives me some Martha Jones vibes in that she's always game. Yep. So even, I'm on a spaceship, okay. It very much reminds me of Smith and Jones where everyone's freaking yeah. out. And Martha Jones is like, oh, well, the atmosphere must extend outside of the hospital. That's what's happening here. Mm-hmm. Like, she's just like, okay, sure. This is the premise now, so I'm just going to run with it and we'll figure it I'm out. I'm fucking smart. I yeah. got stuff to contribute. Oh, yeah. We can all fit on that boat, bitch. That's like peak Martha Jones to me. <laughs> yeah. I love the line when they 
kind of get out of falling onto that planet. Welcome to what I presume is your first alien planet. Don't, Don't touch, touch anything. anything. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, where's the reload may forever so good. be my favorite <laughs> Ryan moment. Yeah. Taking out the aliens! No, no, let's reload! Where's the reload? Where's the reload? I don't know how it was written, but like the way that he chose to perform that line pure gold yeah oh my god he's so fucking funny and i'm really glad they went with a comedic moment here because it was bordering on a white character lecturing a black man on gun violence which is just never a good look right yeah seeing as whiteness likes to think of itself as like the educated moral authority over people of color mostly specifically black men even though whiteness actually created the very caricature of a black man being inherently violent and uneducated etc even though they created that in the first place. Yep. Anyways, next favorite moment. 13 reunites with the TARDIS. Obviously. obviously. It's in my top 15 oh. moments. You know what the thing about it is? It made me cry the first time. It still makes me feel choked up. And it's not just because of Sagoon's music. Mm-hmm. Although it is in large part due to Sagoon's music. He does it well. But the, it does the same thing for me that when she stands up on the train and the theme music plays does, which is it validates validates her. her. That's right. She says, it's all right, it's me, and hits the sonic, and that's when the TARDIS Mm. starts to stabilize because it is saying, yes, I see you, Doctor, and I recognize you. You are my person. And that is another one of those moments where the show just says, that's the Doctor. Take it or leave it. That's right. And that is wonderful and beautiful to me. And I also fucking live for her saying, come to daddy. I mean, mommy. I mean... I really need you right now. <laughs> the little, the shifty oh. eyes after she, come to daddy. I mean, mommy. I, I mean. Wait, right. I'm catching up still. <laughs> I love the gender correction here because it's honestly so accurate. Like, yeah. I get it. I get it. Like, learning your own pronouns and shit is a process. Yeah. And she's just constantly fumbling through it. Uh, and, like, she resonates with both, honestly, because she's got that zaddy energy. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. It's chill. What's the, it's a, it's a comic strip, right? Where she's had, she has a mug that says the universe is number one dad or something. Oh my God. (laughs) I, I think it's one of the first 13, uh, series comics. And I immediately, I just screamed when I saw that image and I was like screen capturing it and sending it to everyone. I was like, ah, I need that mug. Yeah. And it's so great. Yeah. Well, that's it for this week. Next week, we'll be back to talk about the third episode of series 11, Rosa. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Queer Archive Pod. We want to hear from you. Your thoughts and your feels on this episode or any other one. And remember to please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice because it really does help other queerdos find us. Until next time. Be gay. Take one of those heroic naps. Yeah. Tune on your speakers and please be my doctor, whoever. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh Yes, sir Yeah